Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and the CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. Today, we're going to be talking about a framework called GRIT. Jim Ritchie Dunham, the president of the Institute for Strategic Clarity, is going to be talking about GRIT from four different levels, going into a lot more precision about what it is and how you get there. Jim, welcome back. It's wonderful to be with you. So why GRIT? This conversation has been a while in the planning based on a blog you wrote, and you research a lot of topics. Why did GRIT resonate with you? GRIT is a piece of work by Angela Duckworth, and I was reading it again. I think she's done some amazing work in positive psychology about trying to understand what is it that get people to continue to work on something and how do they persevere? So I thought this was a pretty interesting question a lot of people interested in. What does perseverance and what does passion mean? And then what are the conditions for that? So I thought it was a pretty interesting thing. And that from an ecosonomic perspective or from the lens of what I'm doing, how you ask that question, what you can do within organizations will depend on the context you're in. So what does it mean to persevere around what? And so I thought that for our community to share how to think about perseverance and passion or your grit based on the kind of situation that you're in could be a fun thing to add into the mix. When you say the four levels, mm -hmm. what does that mean, grit through four levels? Grit is, as defined by Angela Duckworth and community, is the power of passion and perseverance. So it's persevering to something. And that the, the ability to stick with it towards a goal um, leads to more fulfillment in that goal and more engagement. So it's a powerful thing. To get to those four, the question that starts to come up in positive psychology and positive sociology is, is this a nature and nurture thing, right? Is it that people are born that way or is it the context that they're in supports them in achieving that? And if we get to the nurture part, is that because of how I am as an individual and my own development, like a lot of the work that you've brought into leadership, or is it the family or the context? And what we're looking at is, is there something about the group that I'm in that influences my capacity to have this grit or what that is? We've distinguished within our framework four different levels, if we want to simplify that, to say that there are ways that groups work together that tend to focus only on the outcomes or what we call the nouns, right? So it's just about outcomes, and that's all we're looking at. There are also groups that focus on the second level, which we call the verb and the noun or the development and outcomes. So they're also looking at, yes, learning is important. We're asking questions. We're providing space for what have you learned lately? Is there learning and developing happening or developing a capacities and relationships over time as well as the outcomes that we're achieving? And that would be a second level. One of my clients is in that space where they have moved from we just deliver a great client experience to we can't move forward if we are not also investing significantly in growing our teams. So that shift for some is a big, how do we take time away from delivering results to be building capacity? Absolutely. And it's a very large deal. And, you know, for 30, plus years, there's been a thing called like the learning organizations and how do we develop capacities? And is that something that you did before you got here and now you're an adult and you know how to do and it's only what you bring? Or do we see that you're continuously learning and developing and that that becomes part of what we do and that helps us adjust and what have you actually learned? But it's a very different way of looking at the world because we have to be able to stop 
and say, okay, we don't know the answer and we've learned something and you've learned something. So then how do we bring what you've learned in? And it's a very different way of looking at maybe we can get better results if we pay attention to what we're learning versus assuming that we're not. But it is a very different way of looking. And that's why we've differentiated it as a different level. Then we see also a third level where we can see possibilities or potential and learning or developing a capacities of relationships and outcomes. And in those groups, we find that people are able to say, look, I see that there's a possibility or potential in what we could do or what you could do or something that you haven't yet done or you're not stepping into, but you could. Here's a new possibility. And do we embrace that as well? And then say, if this is a possibility, here's a pathway to learning and developing our capacities and relationships for that. And here's an outcome. And then what did we learn along the way? So then that's a third level. We call it sort of potential or possibility development and outcomes or in shorthand, light verb and noun. But I can see the potential and a way to learn about it and outcomes. And so there we're asking very different questions like you described. Not only what are you learning now, but what do you see as potential? What are you learning about who you're being? Is this how you want to continue to be? Are there new things? And that's where Groups that can't do that have the risk of obsolescence. They're not paying attention to new and emergent things that are happening. So that's sort of a third level. In the last few years, we've also started to see a fourth level. We don't have really clean and easy terms yet, but it's in service to purpose. The groups that work in that place call it terms like sacred hospitality. And that what they're clear is, is that they're deeply in service to a higher purpose. So then the question of what possibilities do we see are supporting us in service to the purpose? Are the development of capacities and relationships of that potential in service to the purpose? And then the outcomes in service to the purpose. And in doing that, when they get the outcomes, then it's an evolutionary process of what did we learn from the outcomes that help us see better into our possibilities and what we're learning and developing our capacities, and then new outcomes, because it's about an evolutionary process towards purpose, towards a much deeper understanding of purpose. So those practices are very, very different than groups that are at any one of those other levels. To be clear, there's not a judgment, because it can sound judgmental. Oh, well, Jim is saying that the fourth is better than the third, is better than the second, is better than the first. And that's not the intention at all. It's rather to recognize, given the kinds of ways that you've agreed to interact with people, what's available to you? If this is what you're doing, then these are the kinds of processes, structures, ways of looking at the world that are available and expected in that group at one of these four levels. And if you're in a different set of agreements, then that's not what's available. And that allows you to say, okay, I understand, one, these are the agreements we have and this is what we can do, and that's fine. Or two, we need to be able to do something else. So for example, we have to be in service to purpose. And that requires a very different thing than being an outcomes only group. So we have to change dramatically the structures and processes like what you have mentioned in the example of your group. So those are sort of four levels with a lot of detail. <laughs> I heard you say no judgment. And I also recognize that systems typically get the outcomes they're designed to generate. That if the system is outcome focused without also emphasis on individual growth, you get strong outcomes. And as the world changes, you are not necessarily changing with it because you're focused on the outcomes that were appropriate yesterday or today. In our evolving world, 
Is there, I'm assuming, a bias toward what will be most effective in industries that are dynamic? What I'm finding useful, and it's very helpful to be back in teaching in the business schools, is to say, okay, where are organizations and what are you trying to do? And to be clear, then these are the consequences of making some of those choices. So if you're trying to recruit some of our great students out of Boston College, for example, and you're promoting these young folks based on your very learning place and you're very engaged and you really care about their potential, and they do and they're aware and prepared for that, and then you bring them into a situation that's actually very operational and only outcome-based, you're going to lose them pretty quick. That's fine if that's what you know. Then you could say, this is a one-year training. It's going to be awful, but we're going to get blood out of you, and that's all we're looking for. You're going to carry stuff. I'm not asking for development. I'm not asking you to change and move a mountain. I want you to carry that pile of stuff from over there to there, You know, and that's what I'm paying you for. That's fine. There's not a judgment on that, but then to be very clear, you get that and you get the consequences of what you're putting out there. We really want to attract these young people who are very clearly on a developmental pathway and they're very excited about collaborative action and we're organized in a way that could never do that. Then we need to be asking a different kind of question. Yeah, I remember reading a meme years ago, something about don't hire the best and brightest if the best and brightest will think you're an idiot, basically, something like that. You need to hire people who are a right fit for what your organization is designed to deliver. Right. Are you hiring people and compensating them? Are you engaging people or are you inviting people? And those are very different processes. They're fine, but people often learn the language of another way of being. And then it's immediately obvious once they get inside that that's not it. And then they're surprised that they have turnover. Mm-hmm. I said, if you want somebody to carry that box from there to there and you're not going to do any of the other things, then don't promise those other things. People can enter and be very clear. All you're paying me to do is do that. And I'll agree to that. Now, I don't have to have deep service relationships every time I go somewhere. I just want to buy something frozen and take it home and pop it in the microwave. I'm very clear on that. Or I want you to serve me and to help me figure out which wine to pair with the asparagus that I'm going to do. So I want to go to you know the county marketplace where they can help me do that. But I can be clear on the agreements. We learned this language of being collaborative and network readiness and systems approaches. And you say, yeah, but we're not doing that here. So the point is to be clear on what you're actually doing and what you're asking of folks. And that's where I thought with Angela's piece, there's a nuance in some of the things that she's pointing at that I think we can add because of this differentiation. Perfect. So then let's jump into the four levels as we consider Angela's work in grit, because I do appreciate the distinction. And there are times I want to go in and buy a roll of toilet paper or an ice cream cone or whatever it is. And I don't need to be friends with the guy. I need toilet paper. I need it to be in stock. Exactly. And there are things that I care about that be fair trade and organic and didn't hurt the dolphin. Mm -hmm. There are things that I do that I care about that. And there might be things that I don't. I said, I don't really care where this comes from. For me, it's not a good choice or a bad choice. It's to be clear on the choice and the agreements around that. Everybody speaks in a certain way and it doesn't reflect how they actually are. I think that's an important distinction that there isn't necessarily a value judgment on agreements. I like soft toilet paper. And I realize that the environmentally friendly stuff is 
not so soft. <laughs> there are times that I will go to the end of the earth to do something environmentally friendly and others, my agreement with myself and my family is soft toilet paper. Exactly. And so it's to be clear on what the agreements are and that somebody else isn't making those for us. And that is something that I find I have a passion for is are people clear on and have the freedom to choose the agreements that they're making? Because if we look at those four levels, it's very hard to make adjustments in my life and my freedom if I don't get the feedback. And most of our systems are set up that I don't actually get the feedback on that decision actually wasn't aligned with what I care about because somebody else made that decision for me. It's always soft or it's never soft and I don't get to choose versus to say, you know, I made that decision and I actually felt really good about it or I felt really bad, but I got the feedback and then I can adjust. And so how do we make that feedback available by being clear on what you're agreeing to? So clear agreements being the foundation of the framework. Right. I've shared in other wonderful conversations we've had, I think one of the, the observation from sociology is that most of these agreements that influence how we interact with each other are deeply embedded. They're very hard to see. And so the more we can make these explicit, then we can choose whether I agree to be in that way or not. You said, we garden, we're out where we live in Western Massachusetts, and turns out I like harvesting and processing. And so in the summer, I spend a lot of hours doing that. And other people might not like that part at all. I said, well, that's fine. I like that part or I don't mind doing that part. But I know what the agreement is versus thinking that it's going to be something else. Let's now jump into grit through the four lenses. Perfect. Let's sort of walk through the four because Angela tells the stories as I've heard them in her podcast and in her writing at what we call the noun or the outcomes level, all that's available is the information that I have in my node right around me. That's all I can pay attention to. There are no relationships with other perspectives. That doesn't come until the verb level or the development of relationships and capacities level. So it's only thinking about the outcomes and only thinking about the outcomes right now and right here. So if we think of it from a network kind of model. It's just my node. It's, it's the information I have available right now, right here. And so there, when I think about a goal and persevering towards a goal, it's an executable goal. And if I think about the capacities that I have to execute that goal, then it's about the existing capacities I have right now. So it's not about developing future capacities and it's not about a bigger, higher goal. It's about what is the executable goal and what are the capacities I have right here, right now? And if that's the situation I find myself in, where it's very outcomes driven, then I can get excited about having the grit. I have enough grit to be able to do this today. I'm going to climb that mountain this week. I'm going to go read that book right now. That's a big deal to be able to get off the couch and say, I'm going to do this right now. To put that impulse out into the world. And I'm going to shift from one thing into that, give my will to that future. But that future is right now with the capacities I have right now, right here. That I think of as like noun grid, but it's what I can do with a, a very executable goal right now with existing capacities. That's very different than like the group that you talked about with one of your clients, which is more of that development and outcomes or that second level. For shorthand, we call verb noun levels then it's about developing capacities and relationships is key and the outcomes are key, right? So it's both of those. And there we start to look at the goal is more of an intermediate goal. So what are the activities that I'm doing now and in the near future 
and the capacities are the capacities I have right now and the learning and developing of new capacities and relationships. So there I can start to look at, this is what I see. Do I have the grit, the perseverance to stick with the learning and developing over time, not a very long horizon, but over time to be able to start influencing things. And here I'm looking at the information I have in my node and I'm starting to look at links you know, getting information of how I influence other people in other groups. So it's more of an intermediate goal, maybe with others requiring capacities to have now and newer capacities. The example then back to my client is leadership team advancing their leadership skills. And so they're collaborating more as a team than they did individually in service of running a more effective organization over time. Exactly. So he said, we know what capacities we have now. There are certain things that we need to continue to develop, to strengthen, so that we can do that better in the near future and the more distant future. Right. So it's what I have right now, and we're strengthening or developing capacities to be able to do that further and have those outcomes. So that becomes more of that verb noun kind of thinking. I can strengthen my capacity to read more and more deeply, maybe, or I can climb that mountain but coming out stronger than I started, right? So, but I'm thinking about it changing over time and space. That third level that we then talked about is where we see the possibility and the development and the outcomes. Then here, I'm starting to focus on not only what's happening within my node, within my immediate area, and how it's influencing others, but I'm also able to start focusing on a we, on a center, as I expand that, then I can start working on more what she calls top-level goals in Angela Duckworth's work. And the capacities I have there are the proven capacities I already bring, the developing of capacities over time, like you talked about with that group, and I can start to look into potential or possibilities of where would you like to go with this? What other things can we possibly see in the future? What are other directions that we aren't currently developing that we could move? And that allows me to start focusing on higher level goals or these top goals. And here I can start to think of, well, I am able to read this book. I could develop my capacities to read more and faster or more books and more deeply into books. But I could also start to read ever more challenging books or maybe even begin to write books. So those aren't things I'm doing right now, but things that I could start stepping into. So then I could start saying, well, or climbing that mountain, I could climb the mountain. I could get stronger climbing the mountain, or I could even think of starting to climb ever more challenging mountains, right? So then it starts to bring in a very different focus of what that top level goal is. But then she also highlights an existential or a master goal. And that's what I would affiliate with this fourth system that we had, the sacred hospitality level, the ability to be in service towards a purpose. And so here, these are the capacities we have. Here's learning and here's seeing possibility but in question towards that higher possibility. What are we learning about the possibilities that we're seeing and the developing and the outcomes that we're getting? So we can continuously be evolving towards a much more existential or master goal. And so there I have the grit to continuously be asking the question of what are we in service to? And are these the right pathways, the right potentials to even beginning to think about how I'm doing that and how am I doing that with others what are the other capacities that are required? And is this even the right question to be asking? The point then is that there are four very different things that we mean by grit 
Can I stick to an existential goal and what kinds of things need to be that I can see what I'm serving and the possibilities and how I'm going to learn and the outcomes and that will adjust and evolve as we're going along. And I need to be able to see the possibilities and the learning and developing. Let me see if I can then illustrate again with my client. He has developed his vision and mission with the organization. They're looking long-term. He specifically uses that to guide how he's thinking about the work they're doing, what they do. He is certainly taking a longer view. So as an example, when we look at the potential of a recession, he's looking at what do we adjust within the organization? How do we pressure test that? So it sounds like that would describe the more existential or level four And then the team is working with top level goals. And then the VP levels are getting the additional training and development. And then that filters down. So is that an example of using grit at all four levels? Right. And so there, I think what we're looking for is the clarity of what are we proposing that our whole organization does or that we're doing at different levels within the organization. And that we're going to be continuously questioning Um, why we do what we do and how we go about doing it. And we're always questioning that. The translation then becomes an issue if at the next level, so say the direct reports to the senior leadership team, if you're really only working at that development and outcomes level, that verb noun level, but we're definitely not bringing you in the potential or seeing new possibilities in service, then what we tend to do is to say, these are your objectives, these are your goals over the medium to long term, we're looking for stability in your ability to get great outcomes. But you say, yeah, but you keep changing the game. So every time you have an executive offsite, then you come back with a completely different game because you're seeing in the possibilities and, and service to our purpose. So we can start to see an inconsistency possibly in the way that we're seeing what we do. Are we expecting something different at each of the levels? And what we find in organizations that are very good at this, working at that sacred hospitality level in service to that purpose, they tend to be very clear that the people in operations at the tactical level are where they're getting the input, right? They're saying, so who's actually in touch with our customers? Who's actually in touch with our suppliers? Who's actually in touch with the regulators? It's the people out in the field that are doing it. In those organizations, it's much more of a reaching out through those folks. And so I need them to be deeply aligned with purpose. I need them to be looking at what's emerging and possibility and learning over time and getting the outcomes. So it's not that they don't also have relationship with the existential goals and the top level and intermediate. Rather, their task can be focused on more right now. But I'm very clear that a lot of my learning is done through them. And the seeing of new possibilities is done with and through them also. And so what we're inviting people into is different levels of or ways of working with that service to that purpose. Does that make sense? It's sort of two very different ways of looking at having four levels in an organization. It does. And let me play it back to you because I think it does. But I want to confirm the example that we're working with. They had an offsite with all of their employees. The first round was to give input to the vision. The second round was so that everyone could explore how that vision translates into the work I do when I show up on Monday morning or Saturday afternoon. So using your example, my ops people, 
know that they're working with customers to ensure that the properties run effectively. So that then gives input to the people tracking what does success and quality look like. So that's a result, but it also feeds into who gets additional training, feeds into the higher level goals and how is the organization showing up and where are they investing in other areas? As I'm playing that back, does that align with what you're saying? It does, because again, what we're looking at from these four levels is what do the practices, the structures, the processes of groups at those levels, what do they look like? And so one of the things that we see in a group like that is we're very clear that all of the people that are invited to be in service to this purpose in our organization are learning something and they're out doing things. So you might be very task oriented that in doing that, I want you to be listening for it in a way of what are you learning from that? And are you seeing new possibilities? Because you're on the forefront of what's happening here. So one of the things, for example, we find in groups that do that well is a process around like surprises. So we're going to have an integrated conversation across our supply chain every week or two weeks with key representatives in touch with the line folks from the different areas. So maybe marketing and operations or in information and accounting will be in the same conversation. He said, is there anything that's surprising you in the last week? Anything that's bothering you? Because you're looking for disconnects within the system from the people who are operating. So to be clear, you're not expecting that somebody who's in a very tactical position in sales, for example, or in property maintenance, knows everything about the other areas. So they're not doing that kind of integration in service to the purpose, but they're very much in touch with the livelihood of what's happening. So they can also be getting input, but then what we want to start to surface is, is there something that we in another area, as we're learning and developing, as we're evolving and seeing new potential, Is there anything that we're starting to do that's surprising you in your area? And we want to do that and find out about it earlier. So that would be the kind of thing is that as you're having perseverance and passion about what you're doing in your area, how is it aligning with what we're doing in other areas? In a very noun-based organization or hierarchical organization, then I'll assume at the top that I can do that for you. And these groups that have the multiple levels, I'm going to assume that I'm providing structures where you're providing that information to each other, and we're sort of helping synthesize that. That makes sense? It does. And what I heard as we're exploring how to roll grit through your organization, for lack of a better term, is that we, as those people architecting the structures, need to ensure that there is a structure to connect what's happening in each of the different functional areas or within even the same functional area where someone is doing the higher level synthesis. Exactly. Because if we believe that we're actually learning and developing capacities and maybe even starting to say, and what do you see as potential for what you're in service to? That doesn't mean that you're not in service and clear on what you're doing, your task. Those are pieces of information that we believe the human beings that we've engaged or the information systems that we're using, that those are tentacles out into our system that we believe are important. How are we gaining that information? How is that information flowing into us? And when we're very clear in our structures and processes that it's only what we call that first level, pay only attention to what capacities you have right now and solve the problems you have right now, then there's no space for the learning stuff. Just go do your job. 
There's no space for seeing potential and learning things. There's no space for developing capacities with others. So you're not cooperating with others and you're not collaborating to learn with others, which is what happens at those higher levels. So if we believe that we are doing that, then how are we supporting that flow of information so that the human beings that show up are able to be aligned with purpose and what they're learning and what they're sharing and what they're learning from their own perspective? And how do we integrate all of that? So as you pointed out, it shifts what leadership's role is through the organization from, I know what you're supposed to do and just go do your task at that noun level to this is what you're supposed to do and continuously improve at it, which is more that verb noun level, to you're sort of out there and you got to figure this out and you need to work with other people and figure out what the we is and what your task is and learn and co-evolve together to we're in service to purpose and life changes and that doesn't matter because we're going to always improve our capacity to scale on purpose. But that requires a different level of communication throughout. I am curious, especially since this fourth level is a newer level, how does that look from a tactical perspective or from a process and architecture perspective, the integration and what does leadership look like at that level? That's a great question. So it's early stages, but we are finding quite a few groups that are operating or are partially operating at this level. So what we're finding Another way of distinguishing this is when you're at that first level, don't mess up is what you're taught, basically, right? You have the capacities. You're here to do a job. Go do it. Be efficient at what you're doing and don't mess up. And if you mess up at the next level, we'll call that learning, but we don't want learning. So don't mess up. And so don't fail. At that second level, we start to say, okay, well, it's not called failure. It's called learning. But don't mess up a lot, right? So you're, you're in continuous improvement means, all right, keep trying this thing and I'm mean, getting better at doing it. But when we get to that third level of the, the potential and the learning and outcomes, then we start to hear things like rush towards failure. Failure is good feedback. You, you thought you saw this, you went and learned something. So then what did you learn? And so let's learn so that we can adjust. So we call that like pivoting, right? So Do we stop, start, or pivot? At this fourth level, it takes that even further and says, what we're doing is about serving our purpose. And this is a higher existential master goal that we're in service to. And what we can see in potential or in what we're learning, developing capacities and relationships or outcomes are only in service to the purpose. So it's not rushing towards failure. A lot of those groups call it sacred hospitality. We're finding a lot of these organizations, Marine actually are using the word love in what they do and saying it's about love. And even using criteria, um, there's a big health organization that's doing very, very well right now, a startup in the last four years. Their only criteria for success within their organization is love. And this is a startup that's in the the multi-billion dollar realm right now. I'm doing very, very well. And the only criteria is, is what would you do if this were your mother and you love your mother? But what would you do? And that's the only criteria. And if you, this is what you would do if it were your mother, then it's the right thing because all the costs of not doing that are there, right? If you don't do the right thing. But then how do you align around the right thing? So anyway, so getting back to the higher purpose group or the, the purpose-driven, said we're there for that. So it's not even rushing towards failure. 
they call it sacred feedback or sacred nouns or sacred outcomes. So you went and had an experience and we set all of this up in service to purpose. You saw a possibility. You saw what you were going to learn and how you were going to develop relationships and capacities and get an outcome. So the outcome was the universe giving you feedback. So it's not rushing towards failure. It's not rejecting failure. It's not continuous improvement. It's just, all right, so we did all that. So the universe taught you something. You better have learned something. Then the focus is deeply on what did we learn? So clearly we're going to adjust because we learned something. And what's interesting to me about that is at the earlier levels that we are, the other stages that we were talking about, the adjusting is like, well, I thought we knew what we were doing and you're changing ship, you know, you're changing directions. He said, or no, you failed and that's bad. Here we're saying we went and tried something and we got feedback from the universe. And so we better adjust because we learned something. So it's not even thinking about it as failure. It's thinking as, well, we put some resources into getting feedback. And so where are we now? And how do we all need to do something different tomorrow because we got that feedback? And can we do that in concert with each other in a more harmonic way and go do something? The point then becomes we're always in that process of, well, what did we learn? What did we learn? And adjust to help us continuously improve our capacity to be in that service to that purpose. And as you can hear, it's a very different process than, than those other levels. I don't know if that made more sense of what you were asking. It certainly helps me reframe what it looks like. So when you say love, that can mean too many different things to different people. It's, I still struggle with words for which the definition is so broad. The operationalizing of, as a hospital how would you treat your mother or father and you love them? Because I, I realize some people might not treat them so well. And moving away from the fail fast, because that definition has been something that I've struggled with as well, that the idea of failure rather than experimentation is one that I'm still not friends with. I don't like to think about my failures. So the reframe of I did the best I could in the moment and I got feedback and I will integrate that feedback and do the best I can tomorrow just resonates differently with me than rush toward failure. That does not motivate me. Go rush toward that wall and you may get killed. That sounds dumb. So go forth and learn and serve your clients does resonate. But that could also be a reflection of who I am for better or worse. I agree with you. And in these organizations that we're finding that are bringing in the word love and that they're very clear on what they mean as a community in that, right? We're very clear on who we're serving and we're very clear on the pathway to that and what it looks like in our community. And what I was sharing was it wasn't that something that an outside consultant or some guru was bringing. I found the groups that were talking this way. And there were a couple of leading big foundations. There's a big microfinance bank. There is this health company. But they're being very explicit about the level of criteria that they're looking for. And I love what you were sharing. It feels like a much healthier way to come into this than failure. And what we want to see is people learn the language. We said that a little while ago, right? So people learn the right way to talk, whether it's integral, whether it's developmental, whether it's network ready for systems change and inclusivity and all that stuff. But are they really, 
Or have they said, yes, you're about learning. Yes, this is a learning organization. And you better only be improving your results, not messing up. So if you went and tried something, you said, I thought I saw a new possibility. We tried it and it really didn't work. We, you know, we lost a lot of resource or time or money on that. Then that's not in that continuous improvement block, right? That's in the you messed up. So there isn't a structure in which to share a surprise. You did this to me, you people. And so how do we hide that stuff in that kind of culture versus saying, we all agree that we want to move in this direction. We want you to go try this. And then what we're looking for is the feedback, right, from the universe. And it's not whether it really a learning opportunity. It's, it is like science of, of, you know, a hypothesis and an experiment and go get data and then see what the data told you. But it's taking that seriously. If I believe that I have human beings in front of me that can take that on because that's what I've invited them into, then do I have the structures and processes in place that support that? So I am encouraged that you said that there is strong definition of love, strong definition still of what success looks like and agreements. Because when I hear things like there are no guidelines, I just imagine the range of humans and the, the stuff you get out of it can be fairly broad. And just thinking from through the risk management hat, that seems uncomfortable to me. It does. And what I think is interesting, what I'm having fun with right now is that as we move through these four levels, I call them the four levels of grid as an example, we find that the higher, the second, third, fourth levels actually have far more structure and far more clarity. Because we can also look at this the other way around. When you're looking at just the my node only grit, I'm still a human being that's engaging and learning because I have to, right? I, I, I'm not the same person. I hope I'm not the same person I was yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. Right? So by definition, I'm learning something. I'm just really clear I'm not going to share it here. And I've learned something about what you're doing that makes my life easier or harder, but I'm definitely not going to share that because I'm going to get smacked for doing that. And if I make any mistakes, I'm certainly not going to tell you that I made a mistake because I'll figure out how to cover that somewhere else or you know, out of solidarity, we'll as a team figure that out, but we're definitely not going to tell you. So another way of thinking about that is the system, by definition of being human, is always getting all that feedback. And what we've designed is that we're not going to get any of it, right? We're not going to engage people to share with us what they're learning and how they want to develop different capacities. So we're going to have turnover issues. They're not going to share what their you know, new possibilities they see or that everybody in the market's changing because they're going to get hit for that or say, well, who are you? What do you think? You know, you're not us. So none of that information that exists within our organization is going to get shared. And not surprising, it's going to be hard to recruit people who can do that well. So we can look at it as either nicer things to do, describing it the way you said. You know, we're in service and we're learning and we're going to evolve and get better at that. Or I'm going to shut down most of that process that is already happening. I'm just not going to pay attention to it. And I'm going to tell others you can't share that stuff. And it turns out to be very disengaging of human beings to not let them share that stuff. You used three different words earlier, something, engaging, and then inviting. And the idea that I'm telling someone what to do or engaging them and helping create it or actually inviting them into co-hosting or co-creating, helping create something that didn't exist for many people, that would be a preferred place to work. 
that's what we're finding. And we're finding this through a lot of different initiatives that have emerged, not to the last decade, but looking at thriving, looking at flourishing. There are a lot of studies. We're participating in a couple of those, looking at what is what are the determinants of people's flourishing in life and what does work have to do with that? We know that we put a big chunk of our day into our work. And we know from global surveys over multiple years now from not just Gallup, but Accenture and McKinsey and a lot of different groups, that 60, 70% of the people in the world are completely disengaged at work or actively disengaged. The question is, why would you do that in your organization? Why would you structure it so that people will be disengaged in what you're doing versus there's a more human way to do this? And what does that lead to for the benefits of your organization as well as others? So disengaging is getting harder, the great resignation, the younger folks. It's getting harder and harder to find people who will give up and submit who they are to just doing the job only and not sharing what they're learning as they're doing the job eight hours a day, for example. And so I want to bring leadership back in then at this point, because you said earlier how I lead at that inner circle. I'm going to manage you aggressively to deliver results. The second level, I'm going to engage you and develop you. And you are also going to still deliver results. At the third level, I'm inviting you into something bigger. And at the fourth level, we are truly co-creating toward accomplishing a mission and a vision. So we want the world to look like better healthcare, better education for children, whatever our mission is. And for that to happen, I need all of my smart people to show up. It also means that I take on more risk. I have less control over what emerges and my language changes, my demeanor changes, everything about how I show up as a leader has now changed. So I have to unlearn and let go of a bunch of stuff that I spent my entire life learning how to do. I love that. And we could do another whole thing on what does a risk profile look like at these four different levels and what we're inviting into the grit of somebody having passion and perseverance and stick-to-itiveness in what they're doing. Because what we're finding is as you move from first to second to third to fourth, they're actually seeing that their risk goes down dramatically because they're paying attention to what's actually happening as we engage people who actually share what's happening and are engaged. And so there's far less risk versus only looking at outputs. We're missing a whole bunch of ingredients in risk. So and that's sort of flip flop because it could say, you know, if I just tell them what to do, then there isn't any risk in that because they're not going off and doing their own thing versus what we're finding like in the military and a lot of other organizations said, no, you're self-empowered teams. I believe in you until you go off kilter, right? But I have metrics to let me know if you're going way off base. But I'm going to assume that we hire competent people that are learning and developing and passing on what they're learning and developing. So then the risk actually goes down because we have more knowledge of the capacities and more adopting and adapting of the capacities needed to do the task. So it changes what risk looks like. You also mentioned the words cooperating and collaborating. 
as I move through the levels at the second level, I believe I cooperate. And at the third level, I genuinely collaborate. I want the best outcome for the organization, not just for my team. That would also change the risk profile. It does. It changes what people are in service to. And it's easy to see with these diagnostics of what a group is actually committed to versus what they've memorized that they're supposed to be committed to, right? So everybody learns, you said, this is what's on my card and that's our mantra. Um, But I said, what are you really here to do? And in these groups that are working at that third and fourth level, they're very clear. Everybody's very clear on what they're here to do, what they're collectively doing. Second, they're very clear on their own unique contributions to that. And when you start talking about collaboration, and I'm very clear on why I need others to do what they're doing and that we do that together, right? So I'm prepared to bring my peace and I'm always striving to do it at my best. And I need you and I hold you to the same standard of making your contribution, which is different than mine, so that together we can achieve this higher thing. And so it helps each other hold to a higher standard and developing capacities and, and bringing all of that together and we're taking up a co-responsibility for that is very different than I don't know what you do and I couldn't care because I'm not allowed to. And I'm just going to go do my thing and make adjustments without telling you along the way and hope that that doesn't lead to major fiascos. And somebody else will have to change things when they do and, you know, and turnover rates and all that. So it changes the risk profile and what leadership is doing, as you had said earlier. It sounds like one of the biggest differentiations then is we have a shared higher purpose that is commonly understood and each of us, each group, each person, each functional area understands their contribution and in the collaboration space where my contribution ends and where I need to look to and collaborate with. So if I'm in operations, I need to be working with sales to make sure that when they sell something, one, I'm picking it up, but also that they're selling something that I can deliver to. So that collaboration plays out differently than I'm going to optimize my sales. And you know what, you idiots over there, you can go figure out how to deliver because that's your job. Yes. And what we start to see there is because I know we're in service to this higher purpose that we hold to be really important and that we're contributing deeply to, two different things happen. One is I can help hold you to a higher standard of excellence for you, not for me, not my standard of excellence, but what excellence looks like in you. And what do I need to do to support you in stepping up to your higher standard of excellence? One. And two, when I get surprised, when something happens, when there's feedback in the system that I didn't understand that we were moving in this direction, or I don't understand what you're saying, instead of assuming that you're an idiot or you're doing something wrong because you're not doing what I understood, since I know that you're in service to purpose, I enter with the question of, well, then help me see what you're learning and what you did, because I can see that you're connected to purpose. I can see that you're holding yourself to your higher standard of excellence and you must have learned something. So help me see that so I can adjust with you. And that's very exciting in this grid because it's not perseverance to what I already knew with the capacities that I already had. It's helped me persevere with passion towards what we're doing. And there are a lot of moving parts that we're learning together. So, and then how do we support people in asking those questions? 
because if I know you're on purpose and I can see that, and I know that you're to your higher level of integrity because I can see that in the moment, then what I'll assume is I'm missing something. And that's a very different place developmentally than assuming that you're wrong because you surprised me. As you say that, it really resonates how different that is. And I do a lot of this stuff for a living. And still there are times someone does something and I wonder what was going on that made that thing make sense in that moment. Instead of saying, this is my precious colleague and boy, I wonder what's happening rather than go get a cup of coffee because that thing didn't make sense. It seems like a minor shift, but it's a huge shift when we see someone doing something that appears to not make sense to inquire rather than to react because that thing they just did puts me at risk. I now won't meet my goals. I'll look stupid. I'll whatever the thing is that I'm trying to avoid. Somebody doing something I didn't anticipate feels risky to me to have the grit and the perseverance to inquire rather than just react is a huge shift. It is a huge shift. And one of the things that intrigues me about what we're finding so far in that space of the groups that are in that third and fourth level, when they're doing that, is I would assume initially that they're at one of the later action logics, right? It's because of ego development sophistication that they're able to be in more of a space of quiet and assumption and deeper reading. But that's not what we're finding. We're finding folks at many different stages of development and different capacities. It's the way they do things. So when they're sitting in a meeting, we know that we're on purpose because we're always checking to see if we are and reminding ourselves of what we're doing and how we're doing contributes to that. And we expect everybody to show up prepared. And if you're not prepared, to your standard of excellence, we know that. And I probably shared with this before, but one of my favorite examples in recent years was with my son, who was in a jazz ensemble choir in Chicago. It was very clear with this eight-part harmony, the person who was facilitating the, the group, because it wasn't really a director, they don't call him, but in the jazz ensemble, if you didn't show up knowing your part, knowing your, your music, it was super clear because you were the second bass. And if you don't show up prepared, it's really obvious. And so I think we can start to hold each other to that as well, is that you're not prepared. You're not showing up at your best. But if I know that we're on purpose, because we we talk about that, and I know what your excellence looks like, then whether I'm sophisticated or not, that's just the way we do things here. You know, and so you can think of that like a potluck supper. He said, I know what your brownies taste like when you're paying attention. You bought these brownies at the five and dime down the street. Because these are not marine brownies, right? Or this is not a marine salad. When you care, you do something different. So even then, folks, and that's what we're finding, again, is to share what we're finding in actual organizations. It's a way that people do things, and it's what they're keeping present. And then the way that they act with each other is, okay, but I can say in the room, is that your standard of excellence? Because it doesn't look like it. We can bring those things up. And it's not taking more time to do that which is what I think a lot of people say, well, we don't have time to do that. We got to go deliver. And it actually doesn't that. He says, we don't have time to get surprised and have to deal with the lack of understanding about what's happening. So we know in most organizations that are outcomes only, we spend 90% of our time correcting the mistakes that we've made. But if we just planned a little bit more, listened a little bit more, we would have avoided most of that stuff. 
I find it fascinating and I'm disappointed that we're coming to the end of our recording. And so I want to do a quick synopsis. So you've talked about grit or perseverance and how that looks at the different levels individually and organizationally. I also hear that I can't perform on a repeated basis at this fourth level unless my organization is, because I can't be on shared mutual purpose, the keyword being mutual, if nobody else is sharing my purpose. So as leaders of organizations, if we want to move to a place where we can respond more quickly to the challenges we're facing to move from cooperation to collaboration, to move from engagement to inviting people to contribute their best, that we as the leaders need to lead differently and structurally change how our organizations are operating. Absolutely. To me, the exciting thing about this is what affects grit? So grit means that you're able to persevere with something that you're passionate about so you can see it through. And we know what we're asking people to see through because the question then is, is it nature or nurture? Is it, do I recruit people that are good at this? If I recruit you and you're good at this and then I don't set up the conditions for you to be able to do it, then you're going to leave or be very frustrated. But part of it's nature. You know, people, some people around certain things have more grit than others. But it's also nurture. And what is the work I'm doing in my own stuff? And that's a lot of the work in your institute, right, is how do we understand what we're each taking up? And it also has to do with how we're working as a group. And am I setting up the conditions for people to be successful at that level of grit? Am I expecting you to persevere and get it done now? Or so just go read the book or just go climb the mountain or get the job done and you have the will to do that. You have to have the will to learn and develop and change how you're doing. I ask that of you and I support you in that. Or am I asking you to take on different things and who knows what's going to be coming, Because, but we'll figure this out together. And we have ways of supporting that. So I'm asking for it in the nurture and the nature. You know, We hire for that, but we also support that for the individual and how we work as a group supports the level of grit that I'm asking for of you. Beautiful. Thank you. Jim. You have a blog. People can follow you on LinkedIn. Where do people learn more? The blog, JLRD, for James Loomis, Richie Dunham, at dot me. I'm one of the only three Richie Dunhams, hyphenated Richie Dunhams on the planet. My wife and my son. My daughter changed her name when she got married. <laughs> so the three of us, so that people can find it there or connect on LinkedIn. Through the Institute for Strategic Clarity, we also share the work that we're doing. And that's very exciting. There's a global network that's taking this up with me and with us in different countries around the world, Mexico, U.S., Germany, the Netherlands, South Africa, Ghana. There are a lot of places and there are a lot of new research that's coming out of our initiatives for leadership for flourishing and the global flourishing study, different things that we're involved in. We're trying to find out what does this look like around the globe because people are figuring this out everywhere. And what does it look like and how are they figuring that out? And so this is a great venue to share with your big community, and that's how they can connect with us and find out more about what we're doing. Thank you for the research you do and for sharing it with our listeners and our community. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the work you're doing to help us flourish and elevate the conditions around the world. Please put these ideas into practice. 
like our podcast and share it. We make a better impact when you share the information. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Thank you.